Welcome, everybody, to the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Rourke. Guys, tomorrow is a huge day. It is the Uncharted Veterinary Conference in Greenville, South Carolina. If you would like to watch it, or at least watch the main stage that will be streaming live, there's still time. Head over to UnchartedVet.com, get your membership right away. You'll be able to watch the live feed. We'll get you into the online community so you can be there and talk to others who are watching it and be a part of the experience. And we will be dropping in the workshop shortly thereafter. So you can still catch the excitement, but you got to move fast. UnchartedVet.com. Guys, let's get straight into today's episode. And now. The Uncharted Podcast. And we're back. It's me and Stephanie. Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Goss. <laughs> I love it. How's it going, guys? Oh, man. Oh, so let's... <laughs> you... It bothers me how much you're going to enjoy this episode. Oh really? What yeah. uh, what what do you, what do you got planned for us today? Well, I thought that I would tell the story of my, I think heroic injury is a good <laughs> term. Okay, I all think right, should... Her- heroic. Okay, uh, all right. This this better be a good one. I just want everyone to go ahead and get tissues out now because this is an emotional ride. <laughs> You can't see it. Stephanie is silently shaking with laughter. Oh my god, you're gonna you're gonna milk this for all I, it's worth. I just um I'll you know you can send flowers to Cleveland Park <laughs> Animal Hospital in Greenville, <laughs> South Carolina, if you would like. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> the right. Cleveland Park team, their heads are exploding right now because right. they're like, Oh god, I can't. I can't even with Dr. Rourke. Yeah, there's an epidemic that um that really impacts a lot of us high performing um you know uh, Adonis like figures and it's uh it's roller skating accidents. Oh, okay. Put it on the table. <laughs> roller skating accidents. Roller so, so yeah. Well, so let me tell my uh, about this one. Yeah. Uh, hashtag hashtag roller skating survivor. <laughs> I um so okay so so. A couple of weeks ago, I took my kids to the roller skating rink and it was um, my older daughter is 11 and she was like, oh, I can't wait to go. She loves to roller skate. My younger daughter is eight and she did not want to go because she's never had a good experience. She's always you know, wanted to go roller skating and um, and just not been good at it. You know what I mean? She's she's too uncoordinated. She's just um, she just wasn't older. She didn't really get it, you know. And so it wasn't a fun experience for her because she was falling down and she's holding onto the wall and she's taking itty bitty little steps and it was not fun. But I was like, hey, look, you're eight years old. This is going to be your time. And so we get there and sure enough, and she gets it. It just clicks in place. And now she's, you know, she's banging out and just, you know, just flying around the rink and, and still kind of holding the side a little bit. And then she gets going and she's having the best time ever. And I've got my skates on. So I get skates and I go out there and I, and I roll around. If you haven't been to the roller skating rink recently, you should go just for the nostalgia because it has not changed since you were a child. I mean, it, it's exactly the same as it was in the late eighties, early nineties. I mean, it is exactly the same, uh, can... slightly different songs, but they sound pretty much even the same. Then. <laughs> can you smell it? Like I can oh, smell it. <laughs> it's a hundred percent the same smell. Yes. All that comes wafting back. As soon as you open the door and it's that same, like thick the door ball. and there's like the little, yeah, there's a there's oh there's completely the disco ball and the DJ who's some you know some poor sap and, and they clear they clear the floor for the birthday party and they have little races and then then they have an all skate and everyone can come back. It's exactly what you remember. Okay. And so so I'm skating in the circle in the oval, right? I'm just going and I was having these thoughts of like, what if this is what life is really about? What if it's just what if there's nothing better? Than being at the roller skating rink, enjoying time with your family and and seeing your children laugh. And so I'm sitting in sort of this deep Zen space, this place of bliss. And then my daughter, my younger daughter, comes up and she's holding my hand, and we're laughing together. And then all of a sudden she just wipes out and she just takes me out as well. Oh, and no. I try not to, my first thought is don't step on her, 
don't pinch her with the skates. And right. so I kind of try to dance away from her. And of course I go down and I hear this pop and then I'm dragging myself off the, you know, off the roller skating rink. And I'm apologizing for my injury to other people as like, as the 13 year old boy whips by uh, skating back. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Sorry. Just, <laughs> just dragging my, don't, no, don't stop. No, thank you very much. Uh, and like some kid jumps over me as, as you know, as they're skating. Um, oh my God. Yeah. And, and of course my daughter, and my daughter is devastated. She's going, daddy, daddy, are you okay? And, I, and I'm doing the thing where I'm dragging myself, you know, in a prone position of uh, face up, back down, sort of pushing myself off. And I'm lying to her face, to her beautiful little face. And I'm like, I know what? No, I'm fine. Totally. No, I'm good. And there's tears rolling down the edges of my eyes and, and I'm lying to her some more. And I'm like, she's like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, I think, I think I was falling down. I think I fell down and oh pulled you God. with me. I think that's what happened. <laughs> and, you know, and, and so fortunately it was my left leg so I could drive home uh, with the automatic. And so I get the kids home and I'm at urgent care and they, I'm in a boot and I've got crutches and, I, and I'm leaving for Portugal literally 48 hours later. I'm supposed oh. to go to Portugal and I'm lecturing there and, and I'm going to go explore Lisbon, which if you don't know, it has the topography of San Francisco. So it's all hills. It's going to be terrible getting around, oh, my but, God. Uh, but that's what happened. And so I'm laid out, I'm in bed. My wonderful wife is there to baby me and try to get me as well as possible before I leave in two days. And of course my daughter is just, she is stuck to my side like glue. Sure. She's like, sure. what, uh, daddy, what can I do? Can I get you anything? Do you want water? Can I get you more pillows? Can it, you know, do you want, do you want your iPad? Like, do you want a popsicle? She's just <laughs> desperate for something that she can do to help me. And, right. um, and Stephanie, I, uh, I, I, I felt it was funny. It was the next morning I woke up and I was really depressed. Like I felt really awful. And, and I, and so I sort of thought, I was like, why do I feel? Like, why am I having this emotional reaction, right? Like, why am I struggling so much with this? And part of it was future casting, right? Part of it is me looking at the trip to Portugal and being like, this is going to be terrible and it's out of my control and it's going to be, it's going to be awful. And, and that, that's not help. That's not helpful at all to sort of imagine the future and imagine the problems there. But a big part of it was that I was, I was really having this, this struggle with like, like what it means to, to need help. Sure. Right? That, that was sort of my thing is here I am. I, I honest to God need help. Like there's no, there's no doubt about it. There's no way around this. Um, but I couldn't, I didn't want it. And I kept saying to my wife, I'm fine. And the next thing you know, you know, I'm, I'm hopping across, you know, the living room to go to the kitchen when I've got literally three people that all they want to do is help. And so I stopped and I thought, why in the hell am I struggling so hard with it? Like, why don't I just sit back and let these people help me? And it took me back to all the times in the clinic that I have been overwhelmed, that I have just had too much on my plate. And any rational person would say, just, you got a great team, ask for help. And I just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you relate to that at all? I mean, is oh, that for a, sure. the only one who has these idiotic experiences where I just, I can't ask for help. No, I, I think that it happens more often than not, especially for um, those of us who are leaders. But I, I think, um, I think by the nature of our profession, we are drawn to this because we're caretakers and we're people pleasers and we want to do all the things and help all the people and help all the animals. And I think we all, um, regardless of our position, struggle with that battle of like, sure, I can, I can help. And yet when it comes to asking someone else for help, I think for a lot of us, there's that immediate voice in our head that says, I don't want to inconvenience them. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't want to make my problems someone else's problems. I can figure out a way to to handle that. And it's idiotic thinking. Like if you actually stop and sit sit back and think about it for a second, it's kind of moronic on all of our parts to not 
say, hey, I need some help. I'm, I'm drowning here, you know, like, you know, you're getting ready to go out of the country in 48 hours. You have two days to get yourself in shape to be in a city that you don't know with, (laughs) with hills that are giant and figure out how to get yourself around. Like the smart thing and the natural thing to do would be to sit back and say, I'm going to take every second of this two days. I'm going to let everybody help me and I'm going to really, truly rest, right? But your your natural instinct was to be like, nah, I can probably handle this. Like, I don't want them to go out of their way. I, you know, I can, I can do this, which is counterproductive. And I think we do that, we do that all the time in the, the clinic. I know, so yesterday, um... I was in the clinic and I'm getting, we're getting ready for Uncharted, right? Uncharted is next week. We're getting ready yeah. to leave for Greenville. Super excited. I have about 90 million things on my to-do list before I leave the clinic. And in the another case of the worst possible timing, my lead um, assistant, uh, Amanda, who does all my ordering and all of my inventory stuff is out. She just had sold, uh, reconstructive shoulder surgery. And so on top of everything else, I'm doing all the ordering for the clinic. Um, and I know all of our, <laughs> I know all of our uncharted friends are sitting there already shaking their heads because they can see where I'm going with this, which is um, yet again, I said, oh, oh sure. Okay. I, I can do that. I'll, I'll take that on on top of everything else that's on my plate. And so um, I was walking through the pharmacy yesterday and I noticed that our preventative shelf was half empty and I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And so I went to the um, where we keep our back stock and I opened the door. And sure enough, those shelves are empty too. And I started working myself up into a tizzy and I'm like, okay, I've got to do all of this ordering and I have to do it right now. And so I start looking at the shelves and I'm like, well, if I'm going to order one thing, then I might as well order all the things. And so I'm, I'm looking at the sh- shelves. And then I had this moment where I look into the, the treatment room and I see half my team and they're cleaning up from our staff meeting and they're they're working. But it was a three doctor day. I had my entire team there and I had the bodies to help me. I could have stopped and said, hey, I need your help. But my first inclination was to say, I can't inconvenience anybody else. I need to do this myself and start and just start doing it. And so I... I couldn't control that urge in the moment, but when I stepped back and I said, what am I, what am I doing? It was so easy. I walked back into the treatment room and I said, Hey guys, I was like, I, who's not doing anything um, or who has time to help me with something right now. And immediately three out of the four raised their hands and said, I, you know, I, I don't have another appointment for 20 minutes. I'm, I'm happy to help. What do you need? Just, just like your family was like, what do you need? What can I do for you? That was my team's response. And so I divided up the list and they took it off and it was like, no big deal. Right. But it was so hard for me to stop and say, Hey guys, I need your help. Well, I think it's funny. I, I think there's two big reasons that we struggle in vet medicine because I see it all the time. I saw one of our friends, um, it's a mutual friend of ours who's a, a recruiter. So she finds, uh, you know, doctors and technicians for mm-hmm. vet hospitals. And she's like, she just, uh, she sort of posted something in frustration recently about how like everyone expects me to pull doctors and technicians out of my butt. <laughs> and and I've also I'm supposed to lecture at some vet schools or you know at the at this conference coming up and oh by the way I tore a tendon in my arm I have no idea how I'm going to get this all done and and we 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 bless see, her heart oh gosh yeah but we see so we see this everywhere it doesn't matter what your walk of life is but we see this I think there's two major reasons that people struggle with asking for help. And I I think that if you see them, it makes it a heck of a lot easier. So you fall into one category, I think, which is, I don't want to be a burden. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's this feeling of, I don't want to inconvenience other people. I don't want to slow anyone else down. I don't want to give work to anyone else. And so I will suffer and drown Mm-hmm. As opposed to inconvenience this person who I can see standing across the treatment room scrolling on their phone. Right. You know, <laughs> you know? Like, like, I don't want to be a burden. 
And so I think that that's part of it. I definitely felt felt that way as well. As I don't, I really don't want. My wife is super busy. You know, she's she's um she's a she's a college professor, and it's the end of the term, and so she's got a ton of grading and stuff to do, and I don't want to burden her. And so I think that's definitely part of it. I think the other big reason, and this definitely hits for me. I'm just going to be really open and sort of vulnerable here. Um, is it's a self identity thing for me, where it's like I'm the helper. I'm not the one who gets helped. Yes. And that's messed up. And it's like, I'm not like a macho guy. That's, I don't think anyone who knows me is like, yep. When I think of Andy, I think of macho. I think macho. Guy. I'm like village people macho guy, but that's, yeah. You know, like that's as much macho as I have. And, you know, <laughs> hashtag truth. Hashtag truth. So I'm not a macho guy. But that's still a thing in my brain is like, I, I am the one who, it, part of it is two things. I am the helper, not the helped. Right. And the other part is I am the leader. Yeah. Which is something that's deeply ingrained in me. It's like, and I know at a, at a, at a, a logical level, I know this is garbage. And I think I have had a lot of success as a leader because I don't, tend to live this way but at some level in me i still have this idea that like the leader is the person who's got it all figured out right and they set the tone and they don't get hurt and they don't get sick and and they don't um and they're better at the skill whatever the skill is mm-hmm. than the other people i am i am the best person when it comes to placing a catheter I am the best, you know, I am the best person when it comes to talking about flea prevention or nutrition. I am the best person when it comes to talking to the, to the sales reps, you know, like and, and doing these things. Right. And that stuff, it, it's, it's, it's all garbage. You know, it, it's, it's it, the idea that the true leader is the one who doesn't need help. The idea that the true leader is the one who always has the answers and the best leaders are unquestioned by their people. Their people know that, you know, that this person has the answers. That's fantasy, guys. That's not what this is. That's not how this works. I And I talk about this a lot, but the true mark of a leader is not looking like general Patton. It's right. looking like Kermit the Frog, <laughs> you know, and it's. It's being vulnerable and asking for help and pulling people together. And they, your people will criticize you and your people will, um, will question you and they will come with concerns. And if your people aren't coming to you with concerns, that's not good. That means that they don't trust you or they're not willing to talk to you. That's not good. But we think that that's what real leadership looks like. Your, your people will question you, but they will also get your back. And they will pick you up when you fall down and they will support you and they want to help you because they know all the times that you've come and helped them. Yeah. Yeah. I I think that that, I think that that is so true. And I, I really do think that so many of us struggle with this and I, I don't know if it has to do with the traditional Like, I think for me, some of it probably comes from the traditional, like, top-down leadership model. Like, when I first started in practice, it was very much like the practice owner was in control, and they were all things to all people. They had all the answers, and it it fell, fell downhill, and it was like they didn't need any help. They told you what to do and how to do it, and it, and it worked really well um, until it didn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Until something happened and they, you know, had a family crisis or, um, you know, they broke, they broke their ankle and they couldn't be in the exam room for six weeks, whatever, whatever it was. And then, and then you have a whole team struggling to figure out, well, how in the heck do we do this now? Like what, what, do, what do we do? How do we help ourselves? Right. Because somebody else has always been, been helping us. And I think the, the better model is where, it goes both ways. And yes, you can, um, you can have a lot of the answers. And yet, if your team realizes that you're human too, and sometimes you need help, the ability for there to be um, just that innate sense of 
teamwork that you don't question it that somebody says hey can you do this for me can you help me with this I you know I I could really use you for a second that nobody thinks twice before saying sure I can I can help you out because they know the vulnerability shows on on both sides like you said the same way that they know that if they come to your office door and they say, hey, can I talk to you for a second? I, I could use your help with X, Y, and Z, that your door is going to be open and you're going to be willing to have that that conversation. You have to build the trust for them to want to dip into that and have the conversations with you. Similarly, you're, you're never going to have as a leader that fulfilling experience if you don't be vulnerable every once in a while and give it give it back to them and admit like, hey, I'm... I'm drowning here right now. And that was totally the reaction my team had yesterday. They were like, dude, we we got this. Like, go to your office, do what other 10 million other things you need to do. We'll come bring you your list when we're done. We just need you to actually do the order. Like, we can do this part. And it was, it was amazing. It was one of those, like, mind-blowing moments. And it shouldn't have been, but it was like, duh. Like, I, they can do this. They are totally capable. They can help with this. But I was in my own way in terms of of thinking that I was the only person on the team who could solve this problem and made it a much bigger problem than it actually was. Well, yeah, no, I completely agree. I, I think as far as building a team, as far as being an effective leader, vulnerability is a superpower. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you really want to bond your people to you, mm-hmm. let them help you. Mm-hmm. And everyone expects that you're going to help them. And, you know, we always say servant leadership. I'm going to serve these people. And that's right. wonderful. But part of really being a next level leader, manager, you know, head of team is letting other people be a servant leader. Mm-hmm. And that involves you taking service. And if mm-hmm. you're never willing to take service, then it's, it, this is a weird dynamic to some degree. And people aren't going to really feel ownership of the team. It's mm-hmm. like. If, if, if this was a superhero movie and there's one person on your team who saves everyone all the time, that person is a superhero and everybody else is just kind of a supporting character. Mm -hmm. If everyone saves everyone else, suddenly we're the Avengers and we're all superheroes. Right. And that's really kind of what we want to do. So strategically taking that help. It makes sense. It bonds your team together. And right. so I, I I think that there are massive advantages to taking to taking the help. The three reasons I think that we don't take help are number one, we don't want to be a burden because mm-hmm. of how we're wired. And we say, yeah. I'm the one who takes burdens, I'm not the one who gives burdens. Right. So that's it. Number two is um I am the leader, I am the helper, I don't I don't need help. And so that's the difference of I want to ask you versus how I see myself, my own identity as I'm not someone who needs help. And the last one is, and I see this a lot, is the perfectionist. Mm. I don't want your help because you won't do it the way that I want. (laughs) And you don't know anyone like that and neither do I. Oh my God. No, I don't. I don't resemble that remark at all. Right. So those are the th- those are the three reasons I think that across the board we have massive problems saying, "Hey, I'm buried. Hey, I'm struggling. I'm drowning. I need help." And it's just let's just put those on the table, and everyone out there is probably going, "Oh, if I had to pick one of those three things, this is the main one." And there's probably uh-huh. a secondary one, and maybe uh-huh. a touch of the third. Uh huh. I think I think that that's in all of us. But can we can we talk about that last one for a second? Sure. Because let's talk about perfectionism. <laughs> let's let's think about this. We are a we are a profession um, that is made up of generally two two types. Uh, I think we have the perfectionist. Well, like um, you know, when you when you look at vet students, you have the perfectionist. Um, study 24 hours a day and still <laughs> still find 10 more hours in that same day to go do clinics, right? They're the, got to get an A on every test. Everything must be right and perfect. And then you have the second group of people in our profession who are like, I just want to help the animals. I want to help people. I want to help the animals. 
and it's about the quality and not not about that that quantity or that that brain thinking thinking brain part of it that is very important to that first group right and if you think about it if you have these two groups of people they should mesh perfectly because you have this group of caretakers that wants to help and you have this group of people that need it to be perfect and so if they if they just could work together it could be this amazing thing and yet for those of us who are driven by those perfectionist tendencies it is very very hard to step back and say i not only do I recognize that I need help, but I'm going to give up the control for a minute <laughs> because I know that if you do this thing, that it you may not do it exactly how I would do it. And that is so, so hard. So, so hard. And I think that that's where we, we really struggle. Oh yeah. I think, I think, I think that's a, that's a big issue. One of the things that I tell young doctors especially but also just generally young leaders perfectionism may have gotten you here you know that may have been how you knocked the top out of all the exams you took and how Mm -hmm. you blew out that school Mm -hmm. but ultimately there's a ceiling Mm -hmm. for what you can do there's just there's only so many minutes in a day yeah and what where the real test comes from what you can accomplish is your ability to leverage other people. And that's just the top. And people, you know, people know that I am so pro technician and I love my technicians and I talk about how great technicians are and that's honest, but don't get me wrong. That's totally deeply pragmatic to be truly effective. You have got to be able to leverage other people because you can only do so many things yourself. But when you, when you can delegate, when you can hand off, when you can get other people to help you, then you can really get a ton of things done. The biggest hurdle that I see people struggle with is they, it has to be perfect. So they can't give it to someone else. And and that's career limiting is not being able to hand those things away. And so it's a massive struggle. What do you do about that? Oh man, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I'm the person to answer this. Cause this is a, <laughs> this is a bit that no, for real. Like I'm going to, I'm going to get honest for a second. Like this is, this is one of my greatest challenges as a, as a leader and as a, as a practice manager, this is an area where I really struggle because it is really difficult for me um, to ask for help, but it is also, I think more difficult for me to give up the the vision of how I would do it and what it would look like um, through my brain and through my process and let someone else have control of it. And, and even if the outcome is exactly the same, I, I really struggle um, with the detail piece of it um, here because it is important for me for it to be there to be some logic and some process. And it's hard for me sometimes to see the logic and process that my team would use um, because it's different than mine. And this is something that I, that I really struggle with. And I know that I'm not alone. I, I know that most of my friends who are, who are amazing practice managers and who have, a lot of superpowers like this is this is really a struggle and yet when i think about the superstar amazing like kick butt leaders that i know they're the people that figure out to some degree what they can step back from and say eh okay, I can give up control on, on this. And that's, that's kind of how I battle with it internally is I have an argument with myself. Um, and my, our friend Jen Galvin has these all the time. She calls them the shower arguments, right? Like, and, and it's totally true. I'll be standing in my shower and I'm having an argument with myself over, over something that's going on in the clinic. And the question that I have to ask myself is, is this something that I'm okay giving up control over? Like how big of a deal is it? And I kind of sort it into the two categories the the ones that are 
no goes for me. Like I can't give up the control here. I need it to be done this way or with this style or this flair or whatever the reasoning is in, in my brain. And it may make sense to no one but me, um, but it's important to me and I can't give it up. And then I can sort the rest into, I can totally give it up. I don't really care. Or I would really like to give some input, but I probably can give up control over this. And I've been really trying to sort things into one of those three buckets so that I can do the things because otherwise I spend all of my time just treading water and I'm drowning. And I, and I see that across, across my team, you know, I see it when I see my associate doctors in the exam rooms and they've taken walk-ins and squeeze-ins and they're an hour behind and they're drowning. And I see them struggling to be like, okay, is this the is this the moment where I just do it myself and I put in all the charges and I I fill the meds myself because it'll go f- way faster or can I pause and say okay Stephanie you're my assistant I need your help I need you to do this this and this I'm going to go do this and take control of that situation by giving up the things giving up control of some of the things and saying these are the things in the moment that don't really matter and I I can give up control over yeah, no, I don't think you're alone in in that struggle at all. So some of the tools that seem to be helpful, there's 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 three of them, okay? So there's there's really three things that, that I think uh, that I think come into play here as we start trying to ask for help. And this is um, especially true for perfectionists. Um, I think that, there is, um, I think there's great power in being able to separate yourself from the outcome of, of a lot of situations. Right. And I think this is just true for life. Um, there are a lot of things where you have to say, is this truly my responsibility? Am I the only one that can handle this? And if the answer is no, we have to do a better job of, of letting go, right. Of just saying it's going to be what it's going to be this is just a job or this is not my circus, not my monkeys, you know? <laughs> and I, I love I, and I, that. That phrase helps me a lot Yeah. when I look and I'm like, that is not how I would do this. <laughs> this is not my circus <laughs> and not my monkeys, <laughs> you know? And, and you can even do that if you're the boss. If I say to you, Stephanie, I want you to run this, this project or Stephanie, you're going to take lead on this. I just gave you, I gave that, I gave that to you and I meant it. And I, you know, and I go, that's not how I not my do circus. it, but not my monkeys anymore. <laughs> and, and that, that's a skill. It's a real mental exercise of being able to let go. I mean, it's like, uh, I, I think it's, it's more important now than ever when we live in this world and the news floods in and there's these things and, and, and they may be terrible or upsetting. And at some point you go, I don't, I know how I feel about this. I know that other people feel differently about it. Yeah. I can't control what they do. I've got to let this go. And yeah. so I, I think it's a mental health tool that we have to keep working on is essentially not my circus, not my monkeys. Um, I, I need to detach from the outcome here. Mm-hmm. So so that's it. The, the, the other part is I think a lot of us, there, there are things like you said, that there are things that we're not going to give up. You're like, I really feel strongly about this. At that point, there's a mental exercise we have to do, which is to stop and to step back and say, okay, I'm not going to give up these things. What can I give up? Yeah. And it's amazing how we get so hyper-focused. We're like, no, I have to do these things. I have to do them. Well, okay, yeah. fine. Andy, you can, you can do those things. What are the other things in your day that you don't feel so strongly about? And you go, oh, well. I mean, ordering stuff has to get done also, and I don't feel strongly about that. Great. You do the things that you're obsessed with, right? but you have to be able to step back and hand away the other things. And it's just, we just get kamikaze about it. We get hyper-focused and we only see the path forward of putting our head down and going forward. I'm not going to take away the chew toy that you love. But meanwhile, there's a ton of other chew toys you're laying on top of that you don't care about. Maybe I can take those from you. Oh my God. That's the best analogy. So true. Don't take my Kong. Yeah. Don't take the Kong. 
but your stuffed alligator and the rope toy you can have have that that. yeah i can have that oh my god that's so that i love i love that 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 is so great and the only thing that i would add to that is that um i i have been um i feel like i've been so blessed since joining our team because our other that for me the other secret weapon is having someone in your life, someone on your team who is your Jamie. And this is something that Jamie does really, really well for me is that she has this ability to be very, very rational. (laughs) And um, for those of you guys who know Jamie, that's how she runs her life. She's very rational. And she can look at me and and she can ask that question. Okay, if this is what you're going to do and this is important to you, what are you going to give me? What can I take off of your plate so that you can do this other, this other thing? And there's no question about it for her. And it's just, it's just very black and white. And I think that we all need, if you're prone to, to suffering from that perfectionism, I think that we all need a Jamie in our lives to say, okay, here's your Kong over here and I'm holding it what toys are you going to let me pick up so that you can, so that you can do that thing. And it's not necessarily that they're going to do them all, but they're going to help you be able to see, okay, these are the things that are not so important because I I know for me, I can say, okay, this is my Kong and this thing is really important to me. And I struggle so very deeply with also looking at the other two toys that I'm laying on top of and saying, okay, what am I going to give up? Because I'll hold the Kong and it's really important. And like you said, you kamikaze down. I need to get all this stuff done. And we also still, I know I do, still struggle with giving up any of the other things. So I just kind of let them sit there neglected until I get back to them. And I think the truly successful leaders are the ones who have the ability to do the, it themselves or have a Jamie in their life who can look at those other things and say, yes, these are the things that I can I can give up. I don't, I, I, I'm good with that. Here you go. Have at it. <laughs> oh, totally. So, so that's, so that's number two. So, um, figuring out, so being able to let go of the outcome, right? Not my circus, not my monkeys. Mm-hmm. Number two is figuring out the priorities. What chew toy are you keeping? Yep. And maybe there's other ones that you have forgotten about because you're laying on them, uh, yes. that, that can be taken away. Mm-hmm. And, and they're not the things I'm obsessed with. There are other stuff that's on my plate. And I, I've just, I have gotten so tunnel focus, tunnel vision focused that I, I don't even see them, but, oh, that would be very helpful. And then the last part is, and this is, this is really big for me with perfectionists. What needs to happen so that you would feel comfortable with me taking this from you? And I say this a lot to my perfectionist veterinarians because they will drive the text crazy mm-hmm. perfectionism tends to mutate just a touch and it becomes micromanagement. Yes. It becomes micromanagement because you, again, you're not, you're not a jerk. You don't dislike this person or not trust them, but it just needs to be done just right. And how that manifests itself is I am going to stand here and make sure that you do it exactly right. And that technician becomes resentful. They, they feel micromanaged. Yes. They don't feel trusted. And so the question that you have got to ask yourself is what needs to happen so that I feel comfortable enough to let go? Yes. And that may mean, hey, look, every day I'm, we're falling behind because I'm doing this thing, but I don't want to give it up because my tech won't do it the way that I want them to do it. How about we invest an hour, which is a chunk of time, Mm-hmm. Or maybe an hour a day for three days. And we train them exactly how you want it mm-hmm. so that you can let go. But then mm-hmm. you have to do it. You have to train them and then you do have to let go. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times what happens is we give them something. They don't do it the way we like. And so we take it back and they're demoralized and they're angry and we're demoralized and we're angry and we're not delegating. And it's like, okay, look. You have got to give this up. Yeah. Figure out the program that you want to put in place so that you feel comfortable giving this up and then train the people in the way that you want them to do it so that you can sleep and you can let go. Mm -hmm. So those are my Mm -hmm. big three things, right? Um, Not my circus, not my monkeys, 
I'm just, you know what? I need to be able to let some things go and detach and just say, you know what? As long as it gets done, I'm, I'm going to be okay. And just focus on letting that go. Um, figure out my priorities. What I really need to give away. Maybe it's not the thing that I'm obsessed with and I can keep attacking that. But maybe there are other things on my priority list that have to get done that I have just forgetting about that can be given away. And the last one is, if this is a recurring problem, what do I need to do so I feel comfortable giving things away? Yeah, I love it. I love it. And when you think about it, they're really, they're simple things, but it's a not so simple process, I think, for us to force our brains to kind of work, work through those things three things it is it is hard and you guys this is this is us acknowledging it and I think both Annie and I are the first people to to throw our hands up and admit this is hard shit like the the, I am awful at doing all three of these things on somewhat of a semi-regular basis and at the same time I acknowledge how important it is and that's my that's my learning journey as a as leader and as manager to be able to say this is something that I really struggle with. And so I'm going to focus on it even more because I know how important it is. Yeah. No, I, I, I completely agree. The, the struggle for me, I and mean, all of this is hard. And there's this emotional veil that's pulled across our eyes. It's so easy for us to say this, but really controlling your emotions and getting to this point of these rational thought exercises, it's really hard. For me, yeah. it's the self-identity thing. I, I've got, I, that's what, what I sort of keep working on is to say, I can take help. I don't always have to give help mm-hmm. and, and, and being okay with that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I think, it's a, I think it's a journey for all of us. So the flip side to this, and let's, let's, we'll end on this. What we've talked about is true. And it is really hard as the leader to ask for help. And I think that one of the things that we can all agree on is there are a lot of people in our practices, in our lives, that could really use some help, but they're not going to ask for it. Yes. And it's just what we talked about. Like, I, here I am. Yeah. In, like, and I know, talking about the roller skating accident is, is goofy. But in another way, it's very clear manifestation of this mentality. I've literally got my foot elevated on pillows. I'm on bed. There's crutches. <laughs> Yet I refuse to let other people help me. And if you ask me what you can do to help, I'm going to say nothing. I got this. Doesn't it look like I've got got this? I'm totally nailing it. I'm I'm good. And it's it's so ridiculous that I think it makes a great example of, of what we're talking about. So if we accept that, and I think that we should, there are people out there who could really use your help and they're, they're not going to ask. And you say, but they should ask. This is an exercise in dealing with reality, not what should be. You're right. They right. should ask. Right. But it's hard to ask. So what can you do as a helper? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. And one of one of the things, again, I'll go back to the secret weapon. <laughs> one of the things that constantly and consistently comes out of Jamie's mouth is what can I do to help? Yeah. And it's so, it's such a simple question, but I always feel, and sometimes, and she's going to laugh when she hears this, I, when she asks, I feel like it's a smack in the face because it's, it's a wake up call for me. It's like, oh yeah, I do, I do need help, but it's asked with such simple kindness. What can I do to help? There's no, there's no judgment. There's, but it, but it smacks me in the face in exactly the way that I need to say, okay, maybe I can, maybe this is, maybe this is a moment and just regularly saying, what can I do to help? Um, And it's not how, because how is really hard for my brain to wrap around. Like, I don't know how you can help. I have 20 million things. And I go down the rabbit hole of, all the reasons why you can't help when somebody asks me how, how can I help? But when I, when the question is, what can I do to help? It stops me. It makes me think, well, what can you do to help me? And I'm focused on the, I'm focused on the, the what, and it's specific. And it, I, I don't know what it is about that, but it, but it is very much the like, oh my gosh, this is a smack in the face and I'm going to stop and I'm going to think about it for a second. And 
she's asking because she really wants to help. And so it's easy for me to say, okay, here's something that you can help me with and give one or two things. And so, you know, I, I think for those who are helpers, figuring out your way to ask the people that you care about, how can I help? What, what, yeah. what can I do to help you right now? Whatever their, whatever their language is, figuring that out so that you can have them pause and think about how they, you can actually help them. Yeah. So no one's better at this than Jamie Holmes. Like I just never met anyone better than this, uh, as far as getting people to let her help. And it's, it's, it's incredible. (laughs) It's her superpower. So, okay. So, so the first thing I would say is, um, even zooming out a little bit, look around your clinic and identify the people who you think never need help or, you know, or have problems asking for help or just don't ask for help. Those are probably people that we're maybe need to engage with a little bit. You know, there are people who are comfortable asking for help. Those people are wonderful. They're, they're the ones who don't seem to need help or oftentimes the, the ones that, um, that could really use it. And then how we engage them is important because I I think that that's it. They, they, they're not going to ask for help, um, or they're, or they're, they're going to struggle to ask for help. And so in the example that you gave, you know, how we ask things is important. And so Jamie, one, there's a reason that she says what she says, And so you're exactly right. What she says is, what can I do to help? She doesn't say, can I help? Because you'll say no. Right. And she doesn't say, how can I help? Because that's too big a question that our panic brain can't get around. When she says, what can I do to help? She has already um, made the assumption that that you want her help. You know what I mean? It's not, can I help? It's like, let's, what can I do to help? So she's making the assumption yeah. that you have already given her permission to help. Yes. And, and you don't question that. It's, it's a beautiful strategy of mm-hmm. what can I do to help implies that you have already indicated your need for her help. And yes. now we're into the details yes. of what she's going to take away. So what can I do to help? And it's, and, and it's, and it's such a Jedi mind trick and it works. It works every time. What can I do to help? And the other technique that she uses uh, beautifully to get, at least it works really well on me, to get me to let her help is she will say to me, hey, I would like to do this thing. Is that okay with you? And then it's a thing that I need help on or a thing that she knows that I have to do that she says, I am qualified to take that off your plate. And so she says, I would like to do this thing. Is that okay? And now she's not helping me. I'm helping her by allowing her to do the thing that she would like to do, (laughs) which is ridiculous, but I'm completely effective. She says, I know that you have these things on your plate. Um, I would like to take them off your plate and get them done. Is that okay with you? Mm -hmm. And she does a great job. And it's exactly what you sort of said is, um, again, we go back to our, our Kong toy thing. She's like, I see you laying on some toys <laughs> that you're not focused on, but I see them. I would like to take those toys. Um, and, and she will say that. Um, and and it's, it's, it's great the way that she, that she, um, that she does that. And, and the thing is, is that when you're, when you're talking about it, I mean, I have, I have, I'm lucky, very lucky. I have a Jamie in my life, but when you're telling that, story and talking about how she does it, I was picturing my team in the clinic and I'm thinking about myself yesterday and thinking, I know those people and I I bet you guys do too. I bet you have people on your team who are like, well, I could do this thing. Could I, could I help you with that? And, and sometimes they might need to learn the language um, and they may not feel the courage, but that's where we as a leader have to build the safety net for them to step up and say, hey, I could probably do this thing. You know, would would that be okay with you? Um, and the more they are able to do it and the more they're able to succeed, the more that we can develop that two-way relationship where it becomes second nature and they're doing it regularly. And then all of a sudden you have a Jamie in your life and you have someone in the clinic, whether it's bailing you out when you're, you know, an hour behind in the exam room or, you know, you've got somebody out. And so you're taking on jobs that you don't normally do and you're you're drowning and your team sees it. And there's the ability for them to step up and say, 
hey, how, how can I, you know, what, what can I do to help you? And they, they are able to help you figure out the how by the nature of doing the what for you. Yeah. I, I, no, I, I think that that's exactly true. Um, so asking if you can help people, it, it is a skill. And the other thing is it, it, it does get you opportunities and it's also how you grow in the practice because you get yeah. to do stuff. If, if you can ask in a, in a effective way, um, what can I do to help or to say, um, Hey, I, I noticed there's a thing that's on your plate. I would love to, I'd love to, to tackle that if that's okay with you or just some suggesting some ways that you might be able to help the person. It just makes it easier for them to hand things off to you. And yes, they should be able to look at you and say, Oh, would you help me with this? But if we just accept that a lot of us struggle with that, this does make sense. The last thing I'll say, and then, and then I think we'll, we'll wrap this up is, um, asking for training makes a lot of sense. And so if you are a perfectionist and you're hearing this, or even if you're, if you're a manager, a leader, a doctor working with techs, this is an investment you make before you need it. If mm-hmm. you don't train people as you go, if you don't keep helping them grow, then what happens is you find yourself with your back against the wall and they don't have the skills or the knowledge they need to help you. And now yeah. you're not getting help because, because they just, they can't do it. And that's, it's not on them because we didn't teach them what to do. It's on us, but that's an investment we make before we need it. And so that's, again, always training, always teaching, always growing people so that when your back's against the wall, they can really take things off your plate. Yeah, I agree. Cool, man. Well, thanks for talking this through with me. You got anything last to add? No, thanks for, thanks for telling your, thanks for telling your ankle story. That's (laughs) (laughs) I am, uh, I am getting better by the day. I'll be I, back to full strength in no time. Well, you're going to, you're going to need it. We we're going to, we're going to take, take Greenville by storm here, uh, in, in about a week. Yeah. Oh man. It's going to be great. I may not be running around, but I'll be walking without a brace, uh, hopefully without a limp. So that's where we're going. <laughs> cool, man. All right, guys. See you in Greenville. All right. See you soon. Bye. And that's what we've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. This is one of those sort of thought exercises. It's not real hard as far as, hey, here's something that happened in practice. But I just I just think that every now and then really reflecting on why we do what we do. That sort of self-awareness, I just feel like that's such a great skill for being effective in practice, for being effective at life. And so I, I like these episodes. Let me know if you like these episodes and things like them. You can always send us an email. It's podcast at unchartedvet.com. That's podcast at unchartedvet.com. That is our uh, that is our email address. And we love to hear from you and your feedback. Until next time, guys, take care of yourself. Oh, and for those of you who are wondering, it has been about a week since we recorded that episode. My ankle continues to get better. I can't, I can't run. But if there was a fire, I could hobble very, very quickly. So that's where I am. Thanks again for everything. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.